Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, or crow pilot, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, when it's humanly possible, <laughs> we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners, and that's exactly what we're going to do today, Cradalina. Mm-hmm. So, Caitlin, we've been away for a little while. <laughs> yes, we have. We took a little holiday break, <laughs> you know, with the holidays starting somewhere in September. Yeah, I was like, I don't know... It, <sighs> When we didn't announce it either, we just mysteriously (laughs) stopped. Yeah. And the reason that we did that is because we have been going on the most wonderful thing in the world, tours. Yeah. And we have been globetrotting a little bit as far as this current situation will allow. We have been to the UK. We've been to Ireland, Scotland, Wales. We've been all over the US. Which is the UK. Which is the UK. (laughs) And we've been all over the US, or at least I have. Mm -hmm. And it's been wonderful. And I just wanted to ask you, what is your favorite place that we've been during our time on the road? The UK, obviously. Yeah. It feels so good to be not in America. It felt so good to step off the plane and hear accents and <laughs> be around a different culture and have like sticky toffee pudding and Sunday roasts. Like, you know, just good stuff. We just love the UK and London specifically, but everywhere, everywhere in the UK. Yeah, I was thinking like, A lot of people, and this is not our opinion, but other people seem to think that cities like Hull are not worth visiting, but when we went to Hull, we had a great time. We went to an old church. Yeah, every single UK city is magical to us. Yeah. (laughs) But interestingly enough, and I never thought I would say this, uh, but touring around with the Drag Queen Christmas Tour, 
I have learned to fall in love with America a little bit more again. Really? Yeah. I don't want to live here my entire life, but Uh I like... Like, cities like Buffalo, which I think are very much, like, they have a hall-type reputation where people are like, there's nothing there! There's this little place called Allentown, which is, like, Boys Town in Buffalo, and they have all these little shops. That's where I got, me and Sasha Valor got a lot of different, like, little vintage items, and there's really yeah, good food. I'm and still not convinced. Yeah, 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 but... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's fun for an afternoon. Right, yeah. I couldn't live there. You, you know, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's been really nice to see uh, America and the world again. Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to tell you guys, you ladies, that we have not been diddle-dallying around. The reason that we haven't been doing this is because we've been so busy. And we're so excited to launch a new year with you of amazing guests. Yeah, oh my and God, 2022. 2022. That sounds like a fake year from the Jetsons, you know? I it doesn't know. even seem like a real year. And But it is, <laughs> and we're going to make it better with our amazing guests that we have planned for you. We have some that we don't know, which is always exciting, but we have some that are close friends, some that are big inspirations from the internets and such as, and we can't wait to bring them to you. Which brings us to Caitlin, Something we haven't done in a little while. (laughs) The good news section of our podcast. So, as I always say, I want to dive right into our weekly interview. But first, I have this little treat for you. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about carrying women icons in your wallet. So, here's the good news. After decades of looking at mostly male images on our coins, we finally have a moment where incredible women appear on our quarters. That's right, through the American Women Quarters Program, appropriately named. (laughs) (laughs) They got creative. Yeah, they named it. They got right to it. The United States Mint will release a series of up to 20 quarters honoring the achievements of great figures like poet Maya Angelou, astronaut Sally Ride, actress Anna Mae Wong, suffragist and politician Nina Otero Warren, and Wilma Mankiller, whose name I love, (laughs) the first female principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. I love this story for so many reasons. I think that the four-year program will not only celebrate these incredible figures, but also spark interest in their stories. Some of these women deserve to be household names, but haven't made their way into the popular imagination yet. Now, people of all ages will see their faces and maybe want to learn more about who they are. I know I do. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's one of those things where I would have never thought about it. Right. I would have never, like, overthought it, I mm-hmm. think, if just, like, using quarters in my life. Yeah. But then to, like, read this article, it just puts, like, a smile on my face in a way that's like, oh, yeah, that's a representation matters. And yeah. even in things that you don't even think about. Like, yeah. Quarters, yeah, know? and I really and I really do want to look into some of the stories of the women yeah. that are um, being represented because you're like honestly even Maya Angelou whose books I've read seeing her on a quarter 
it makes me want to look more into her life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, She's being yeah. celebrated in a way, and I want to celebrate her too. Yeah, it's one of those things that I don't think I ever overthink my use of quarters or anything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm never like, oh, all these men on the quarters. Yes. Or like, you know, I don't ever think about it like that. But then to see this be a thing... It's sort of like, oh, like why not? Why not women? Yeah. All these like women that have done incredible things. Why haven't they been? Why not? You know? Yeah. As United States Mint acting director Allison L. Dune, who's woman, said in a statement, <laughs> these inspiring coin designs tell the stories of extraordinary women whose contributions are indelibly etched in American culture. Generations to come will look at coins bearing these designs and be reminded of what can be accomplished with vision, determination, and a desire to improve opportunities for all. Just for context, and I looked this up separate from the article. By the way, thank you, Caitlin, for passing this article along. Oh, you're welcome. I looked up the some of the background for it on the internets, and the first woman to be featured on a U.S. coin was Queen Isabella of Spain, who was honored on a quarter released in... 1893 for the World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago. That seems like a little problematic now to have like Queen Isabella, who was like a Western expansionist, sort of on a quarter. But anyway, (laughs) Susan B. Anthony was the first woman to be featured on a circulating U.S. coin. The silver dollar with her image was released in 1979. A dollar coin featuring Sacagawea, the Shoshone woman who helped Lewis and Clark across the plains, was produced from 2000 to 2008. I remember when that came out. That was a really big deal. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a really big deal. I remember... um, Weirdly, I have this very strong memory that now I'm, that's being brought to the surface of like. You're like, oh, this is very special. Do I spend it? Do I save it? Do I? Yeah, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. bringing people bringing their um, coins, Sacagawea coins, to like show and tell in third grade when they yeah. first came out. I remember it was like such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought that story was wonderful. It's perfect mm-hmm. for this podcast. Thank you, Caitlin. But now it's time for us to take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. And Caitlin, the reviews have been pouring in while we've been away. Have they been? Yes. Okay, I haven't looked. Okay, good, good. I'm like, I hope I have one to read today. Yes, you do. But now it's time for our amazing interview. And one of my friends told me I'm not supposed to say it's amazing before we do it. But I think oh. it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I feel like, why not? You have faith in that. Yeah. You're, you're setting the the tone. You're manifesting that it's yeah. going to be a good one. Yep, you know what I mean? Exactly. So. so here we have an amazing, groundbreaking interview. <laughs> and we're going to be talking to Blair Amani today. And Caitlin, I wanted to know, um, you found Blair Amani for us today. And I wanted to know what brought you to her. I honestly just in my Instagram deep dives. Yeah. I feel like I follow a lot of people that share her stuff, mm-hmm. including some of our former podcast guests like uh Sophia Lee and yeah. uh Kimberly Drew. Yeah. And I just I kept seeing her stuff reshared on, yeah. on their stories and then I just got interested. Yeah. And um looked her up on Instagram and I thought she'd be such a good fit. Yeah. She's all about the things that we're about, which mm-hmm. is... Yeah, exactly. Progress, acceptance, women, women, women. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk to her. 
Everyone, Blair Imani is the LA Times bestselling author of Read This to Get Smarter, which is sitting on my desk right now. She is an award-winning educator, historian, and influencer. She is also the author of Making Our Way Home and Modern Herstory. Her scholarship spans intersectionality, gender studies, race and racism, sociology, and United States history. She has presented at universities including Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, Duke, you know, just to, just to name a few. She serves on the board of directors at the Tegan and Sarah Foundation and on the board of trustees for Muslims for Progressive Values. The New York Times praises Blair Imani's unique ability to create progressive lessons with vibrant visuals and a perky, quirky delivery, which is not even, which doesn't even touch what she does. She was named to the Route 100 in 2019 and Out 100 in 2018. She lives in Los Angeles, California. So Blair Amani, thank you so much for joining us today. Where are you now? How are you? And what are you up to? I am uh, home finally in Pasadena, California. Chillin', I will be here through the end of the year, which is very good to say because as much as I wanted to get out of the house during the pandemic, when travel started picking up again, I was like, oh, this is a little bit too much. Let's reel it in. Um, and so, Yes, I know the feeling. <laughs> oh, constantly. Yes. Um, you know, you're telling me, I mean, I feel like, have you talked about it on the podcast, you lighting a menorah while on a tour bus? Because that's iconic. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't mentioned that, but we were talking about Hanukkah just before this. And um, of course I celebrate Hanukkah with great abandon because, you know, I feel like I'm on a Christmas tour um, in November and December. So um, I feel like I have to represent myself. And while the bus was moving, I was lighting a menorah for everybody. So I, I really like got to celebrate that, but tour life is wonderful, but wearing at the same time, you're kind of like, I never get to sit in any moment. I'm just sort of always on the move. So yeah, I, I, I know that you know what that feels like. Cause I've had a look at some of your interviews about your schedule and you're always moving. I really am. And it's like, it's the unfortunate thing now where when I'm in a city, I can't see any of my friends. I, I'm just doing meetings, meetings, events, events. Um, but you know, it is a blessing to be booked and busy, but rest is also a very necessary blessing. So that's what I'm trying to prioritize going into the new year. Yeah. So I have a really pressing question for you from my producer and I, I hear that you have dogs and can we talk about your dog? Speaking of rest and relaxation time. Yes. I'm nobody really wants to talk to me about my dog. So I really appreciate that. So <laughs> yes. we have, um, so in the house I live behind my parents. So they have two dogs, Pebbles and Theodore. Pebbles is a beagle who is blind and very enthusiastic about protecting my dad. And mm. Theodore is a little Yorkshire terrier from Louisiana. Uh, I got him when I was in Louisiana, um, who, thinks that he's the size of a Great Dane. So we love that for him. Um, and then in my house, my partner, uh, Akeem, we have uh, two puppies. They're not really puppies. We have Django, who's like this big kind of oafish pit bull, you know, German shepherd mix who just looks like a Labrador with kind of more of a pit bull face. And he's just the silliest dude. I mean, he uh, peed on my mother's tablecloth hours before she had an event. So 
Um, he's in trouble, but he's just he doesn't know. He just doesn't know that we're mad at him. And that's one of the charms. And then Rita, her name's Margaritaville. Her short name is Rita or Tito or Tita because we never call dogs their actual names. She's from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico or Puerto Vallarta. You know, I do speak a little Spanish um, if I say the name correctly. And I literally saw her on the beach. She was just like running around being a cute little baby puppy. And I was like, asking I asked the couple that was petting her I was like is this your dog they're like no and I was like oh cool so this is my dog (laughs) it escalated so quickly I took my hijab off I wrapped her up we went up to the hotel room and then immediately the hotel concierge came up and was like are you smuggling babies like that's not literally what they said but that's definitely what they were trying to prevent and I love the diligence because you know we all have to see something say something um and I was like oh no no it's a dog and they were like oh, you can't have dogs in the hotel. And I was like, okay, great. We'll check out tomorrow and get a new hotel. And then suddenly we were allowed to have dogs. Um, So I got her like deworm, defleed, and then tried to arrange to get her to the United States, which was just as easy as booking a plane ticket. I was worried I was gonna have to like charter a flight and I did not have the money for that or like drive from Puerto Vallarta to Los Angeles. But now now she's like a grown little baby and uh, just couldn't be sassier, couldn't be sassier. I love that story. And I also love that there are so many dogs in your life because anyone who listens to this podcast knows that we usually start the podcast out with a story about dogs. And so you fit perfectly <laughs> within the enthusiasms of our audience. So thank you so much for that, for money. But enough of that. We've just come through an incredibly difficult era where I'm sure your dogs helped, but where the realities of racism and classism and sexism were exposed in so many ways and you confronted so much of it head on. And before we dive into your work and the details of what you do, I want to know how you keep up the optimism that you have in your voice and that is so clear in your personality. Oh, thank you. I think that I'm just genuinely excited about all of these different possibilities. And I think about one of the substitute teachers that we had, like that was kind of like an orbit during elementary school. I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but he would read us like pieces from the newspaper to keep us like, you know, politically and socially informed. And he would like read the date. And so, you know, whatever today's date is like, this is the only date, like, you know, this is the only December, whatever, 2021 that will ever exist. And that's exciting. What are you going to make of it? And it made me kind of stressed out because I was like, oh my goodness, that means like every day I have to do the most. And sometimes, sometimes you can do the least, like sometimes you can just rest. But it was just very exciting to look at the world through the lens of every day is a unique experience and you can make, you know, just make stuff happen, but also take a nap. That's fine too. And I think that my optimism and my enthusiasm is just because of those possibilities. I have generalized anxiety disorder and that definitely rules my life, even though I'm like medicated and I have a, you know, a great counselor and everything. I still suffer from the, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. Everything is the worst. And so it's an active practice for me to look for things to look forward to and to get excited about. And I feel like if I have something that's a month away that I can look forward to, that can really just keep me going, even if it's something completely disconnected. Like right now, there's a lot of conversations happening around the horrible, uh, you know, tornadoes and storms that were happening, the power being down, you know, people's lives being lost. It's very tragic. And I think that it's okay for us as human beings to feel that pain, to feel that tragedy, to bear witness to the suffering of our fellow human beings, and then to try to find a way out of that pain to 
look at what can I do? How can I support? What organizations are there on the ground? And then find out a way to be helpful or to be active and then try to take an active role in doing that. That's not something we can always do. A lot of things are very big and have to do with political stakeholders who might not value our humanity even. But what we can do is prioritize our time. So I I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary of January 6th with the insurrection. One of the things I was reminding people to do is like, this is an act of terror, but I, what I want you to do is to breathe, to be grounded. If you're in DC, you know, shelter in place or listen to whatever the authorities are saying. And if you're not, I want you to drink water. I want you to have lunch. And I want you to con- to like just look around and be grounded in what you can still do to protect yourself and your loved ones, even as we feel this kind of earth-shaking you mm. know, attack on democracy. Do you think that your approach to politics in that way, that optimism, as far as like saying, okay, we're going to do what we can and then focus on that. Do you think that comes from living with anxiety and learning to do that for yourself personally? Oh, completely. This is a learned skill. It does not come naturally to me at all. I mean, with everything, it's something called worry management that they do in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that my partner Akeem has done posts on at Akeem Omar Ali for all of you who want to check that out. And it's just been really necessary for me to like, okay, if I'm worried about something, even if it feels like a super outlandish concern, no one's going to buy my book. Okay. So how do I manage that? I make sure that I promote the crap out of the book. So that way people do buy it. Now I feel more active and like I have control over this. People are going to hate the book. Okay. Well then let me make sure that I do all my research and that I put my all into it. And then also remind myself that there are going to be some people who don't like it. And that's not a failure. That's just because of statistics. Statistically, not everybody's going to like everything. Um, So it really comes from that. I want to know more about your life. So it's time for my favorite moment in the interview the moment where we press rewind and look at your story a little bit. So I was wondering if you could tell us about young Blair Amani. You grew up in an accepting Christian community, from what I understand. And I want to know what you were like growing up and what your family was like. Well, one of the things that I'm really looking back fondly on is that we didn't, we had, I think, one Jewish family, but wasn't in the same grade. They weren't in the same grade as me. And we learned how to sing, like we learned the song Dreidel during our like Christmas like things. And it was like, it was so intentional. It was like, well, we're going to sing this not because there's a Jewish family here, but because we should learn that there's more than just Christian Mm -hmm. things to discuss. And then we learned all these. different. And so like, that's the kind of community I grew up in where it was just like super about that life in the early 2000s. And I feel like people are just recently about that life you know, since really 2020. And so to grow up and that was very unique and important and totally shaped who I am. I was mouthy. I was sassy. I was a little bit of a bitch. I'm not going to lie. And I was over it. Like I was very jaded. I simultaneously wanted to be Posh Spice and Angela Davis. I just got the strongest visual. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. And I think that was just generally my vibe. Like I felt constantly that there was more we could be doing as a school. Like I was in Girl Scouts and it would frustrate me that we were, you know, saving our cookie money to go on vacations when I felt like we should really be using that to help people at different schools to buy school supplies. It just felt weird to me and problematic to me. And this was partially because of how my parents raised me or completely how my parents raised me. But I always had this sense of like righteous indignation that like, why should we be doing a vacation when there are people in the school district over from us who can't buy pencils? And that came from your parents, you were saying? My parents raised me with such a distinct sense of 
fairness and equality and justice. And I mean, think about the energy of I need to speak to the manager, but like, like as it applies to like social justice things, like yes. that's very much where my parents sat. If, if like, we could, <laughs> if we could turn the Karen energy around and use it for good, you know, <laughs> we could turn it upside down. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and like, that's definitely how my parents were like, if, you know, uh, so my sister and I, we were the only black kids in our classes all through elementary school. And then it got slightly more diverse in middle school. But if my mom felt that my younger sister wasn't getting her resources during her, like her meetings for um, specialized education, if I was being, you know, not treated correctly, like my mom would come in and not just send a letter or an email. Cause this is early two thousands, like emails weren't you know, letters were still happening, you know, hard yeah. for the Gen Z to, to imagine. But anyway, yeah. ancient times, things were being sent by carrier pigeon. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for that to come back, though. Um, but my All mom right. would email and then fax a copy of whatever the complaint or letter was to everyone from the superintendent on down. Like she was like, no, this is going to change immediately because this is what's right. And it wasn't always connected to advocating for me and Chelsea, my younger sister. It was like, you know, this needs to be changed. This There needs to be a stop sign at this intersection because people are going to get killed. Like it was very much like worry management, <laughs> but also yeah. kind of like this, the, like what's the worst case scenario and how do we prevent it? Yeah. Um, and doing it because it might not be your business, but it is definitely your responsibility. And that was very much the attitude we had growing up. So my parents told me if, you know, you are in a situation where a teacher says something to you that doesn't sound right or doesn't, you know, it, it just is off to you. Let us know. And they meant if somebody says something racist or biased right. or sexist. But mm. I took that to mean if anything incorrect is said at any time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then let them know. And uh, I really I'm so blessed that I have the teachers I did because I had the most patient teachers who were like, <laughs> you know, Blair, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to look it up and then we can yep. talk about it tomorrow. And my parents taught me like, you know, if you talk to an adult and they get mad at you for asking a question, it's because they're insecure and they don't know it. So my parents were like giving me the like sociology keys to the kingdom and I couldn't really handle it from the start, but I got to right. a, a good place of not being a pain in everyone's side. And you know what? There's not necessarily something wrong with being a pain in people's side though. I mean, if you're trying to get invited to birthday parties, there is, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I mean, you'll get invited to the right birthday parties, I guess is, is what I'm thinking. Well, I, mean, I love now is that everybody who like didn't talk to me because I was like the weirdo kid that always had like a protest to organize. Now they follow me on Instagram and they like buy my stuff and say support me now. So the, the message, the moral of the story is that like you don't have to change. Sometimes you're around the wrong people. Oh, thank you, everyone. If you do needlepoint, make a sampler because that is such an important lesson to learn. Oh, my gosh. you Your parents passed down. Um, so much to you. I think the number one thing that they passed down to you was the capacity for love. Um, I love the story of your coming out to your mother because at 15, you announced to your mother that you were a lesbian. And I just wanted to hear our listeners to hear this story. Like, how did your mom respond to this and how did that feel? 
Well, I have to set the stage a little bit more. I think for me, I had watched so much Degrassi and watching Marco's storyline. I was feeling so much pressure. We're, we're fist pumping over here. We're like, yes, yes, Degrassi. You continue. know what I mean? And yeah. like, yeah, when he came out on stage and like it was so dramatic, I was feeling like, oh my goodness, if I don't come out to my mom, I'm living a lie. And then I was Googling things like the Kinsey scale where it was saying like, you're this percentage straight and this percentage gay with yeah. no analysis for the facts that bisexuals exist. You have to also imagine, and I was at this Catholic all-girls school where you were like these like tartan plaid pleated skirts and I had a super short haircut. And going to that school was so interesting because it was supposed to be like, oh, this is super accepting. It's a girl space. Hooray. But me and then Allie, we were both uh, carpoolers together and we both had short hairs. So of course we're the lesbians and we should be, right. you know, aren't you guys gay? And my vibe was like, so what if I am not, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not gay. Accept me. I was like, well, screw you guys for being homophobic. What the heck? This is like yeah. 2009. Get with the times. And so that was kind of setting the stage. And so I kind of had in my head that lesbians, that there were straight people and lesbians. And my analysis was off, but so was everyone's in 2009. Not everyone. Yeah. At least yeah. mine. <laughs> And so I was like watching so much Degrassi and stuff. I was like, well, when there's a dramatic thing you need to tell your parents, you call them to the living room if you have one and you go ahead and you say, hey, mom, I need to talk to you. And then she's supposed to go, OK, babe, what do you need? But instead, my mom was like, Blair, I'm busy. This better not take a lot of time because my mom's a real person. <laughs> and not a character that somebody wrote. Yeah. And so I sat her on the couch and she's like looking at me being like, what the fuck? And I was like, mom. I'm a lesbian. And she was like, oh, oh mm, no, no. I think you're bisexual. Mind you, I'm a Scorpio theater kid. I yeah. felt so the righteous indignation of you stole my moment. What is this, That's Christina? Um, and so, but I was also like, what is this bisexual that you speak of? Because I think this was even before like Tila Tequila was really on the scene. And I remembered that being like my only bisexual representation. A um, lot of early 2000s references for the folks today. Oh, yeah. But my my producer, Caitlin, her head just exploded when you said that. <laughs> Continue. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah. was just one of those things where there was a dearth of, of bisexual representation. And I remembered going and, you know, looking up on Glad. And my mom didn't reject me. When I say that my mom said, no, 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 she wasn't rejecting me or telling me that I was wrong. She was reorienting me. I right. would always tell her about all the crushes I had on people. And my crushes were very bisexual. You know, I was just falling for people regardless of what their gender identity or expression was. And my mom mm -hmm. peeped that because she's a good mom who pays attention. And mm -hmm. she affirmed me in that and made sure that I got very comprehensive and inclusive sex education, which made me so cringe. I was like, whoa, like this is too intense. My mom was like too affirming too about that life, but right. it's also very healthy. And so we went and looked up on Glad, you know, the OG Glad website, which I went in the way back machine so I could like cite it for my book and looked up the definition of bisexual. And I was like, well, there's the word sexual in it. And I was, you know, this is like pre-sex life Blair. I was like a little baby teen. When it said that you don't have to have equal or any experiences, sexual experiences with people, to be bisexual, that was really affirming for me because the Kinsey scale based everything off of who you were sleeping with. And right. that's just not what, what it is. And today there's conversations around biromantic, mm. you know, for people who form romantic attractions. But for me, I understand bisexuality as this umbrella of people who form attraction to multiple genders. And that can be a physical, emotional, romantic, sexual attraction. And even at that time, this was like, you know, early Facebook. Remember when you could like check like interested in? I was like, I will never check interested in 
men and women. I will never check that. Why would I tell people I'm bisexual? What the heck? Now, flash forward to like 2017, where I came out on Fox News, like my life has changed and I did have my Marco moment. But coming out is a journey. One of the things I admire about you is your ability to embrace and fully explore your total identity in every part of every day. One of the things that you talk about is the intersections of your identity with Islam. You converted to Islam in 2015. It's essential to your identity as much as your sexuality and progressive politics. And I think there's an idea that these facets of your being can't coexist, but in your own words, Allah made you like this. And people ask about reconciling your identity and Islam all the time. And you say there's no reconciling to be done. I just wonder, what are some of the most frustrating misconceptions you hear from people? Because I think maybe our listeners can learn from the experiences that you had, the specific experiences that you've had with people that you just wish you didn't have to have anymore. Well, I think there are so many different things. I think that one, people think that I grew up Muslim and that I'm not from the United States. They can never tell me what country I'm actually from, which is hilarious. But there are so many things that like are very central to my identity. One of the things that I haven't really just I've discussed like at times is that my grandpa uh, Roy was a Romanian Jewish refugee whose family were refugees you know, from Romania, they came to the United States through uh, Cuba, and then he lived in Detroit, and he adopted my mother. So I'm not like, you know, part of his heritage, but definitely culturally, like things like, you know, the high holidays were part of my, well, just like my life story. And I grew up yeah. a lot around a lot of different like diversity. I grew up around Muslim folks, Christian folks, Hindu, Shinto, uh, folks who didn't have, you know, a religious practice, people without a belief system altogether, people with a belief system that wasn't based religiously. So I grew mm-hmm. up in a very, very like open environment, just a bunch of hippies in California, just singing Kumbaya, my Lord, um, or just <laughs> Kumbaya universe. We're not going to say it's a Lord. We don't want yes. any Lords. Like, <laughs> just super PC, wonderful life. Um, and so when I converted to Islam, I was looking at it through a very open lens. And mm-hmm. I was in, you know, uh, at college at Louisiana State University. And so anytime you have a religious understanding, Generally, when you're on a college campus, it's more of an expansive understanding than not, not always, but definitely in this case it was. And it was so diverse because it was kind of like, wow, let's form solidarity because like there wasn't enough resources maybe for people to like separate and turn into these different like separations, like what I saw when I was in when I was in New York. But Mm -hmm. it was it was so diverse, so affirming. And when I converted at no, at no point did I feel like, oh, snap, this page of the Quran says no gays allowed. Oh, well, I'm not going to be Muslim. Or right. I didn't also go, oh, this says no gays allowed. I'm bisexual. Let me slide right in. Like it, I never like inferred through the many translations that I read, through the many histories that I've gone through yeah. that you know, LGBTQ plus people, you know, gay folks, bisexual, lesbian, trans, like non-binary, that we were not part of Allah's creation. And there's someone named J. Mace III, who has the Black Trans Prayer Book, which is absolutely excellent. And we've had so many wonderful discussions uh, around this as well. Um, And the fact is that once I converted, 
that's when I started to experience this kind of, oh, the grass is not greener in the other Abrahamic religion. Like right. this is a little bit, yeah. Like I, I I remember I was wearing my nails, you know, I love acrylics. I love to do my nails. And somebody was like looking at me and I was holding their baby and she like snatched her baby away and was like, oh, you're unclean. And I was like, what the heck is this? And she's like, you have acrylics on. That means that you can't pray properly. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Where does it mention acrylics in this holy book from hundreds of years ago? <laughs> What are you talking oh my about? Goodness. I was like, it was baffling. And that's when I started to like learn the cultural side of it. And that's mm. really where I've had, you know, clashes. I've never, you know, had somebody face to face tell me I was going to hell for being bisexual. A lot of people get on the internet and love to be keyboard warriors, but nobody's right. brave enough to say it to your face. Right. Um, but when I came out um, on Tucker Carlson tonight, the clip is on YouTube. It's, it's great. It's great making Tucker uncomfortable and confused, which are right? two things he is very often. Yeah. All the time. Um, yeah. and he's uncomfortable <laughs> and confusing, but, yes. um, when I came out, that's when I started to experience that people viewed me differently. I did get uninvited from some things. I wasn't kind of hailed in the same way, but I'm also really grateful because I don't, I'm, I'm so grateful that I don't have people around me that, don't genuinely love me for who I am. And we're just waiting to discard me as soon as they found out something else about me, because that's what, you know, being queer is. It's not that we have to come out. It's that people should stop assuming that everyone is straight and cisgender and then being mad when that's not true. Like, yeah, we have to be more expansive. We have to be more involved in this. And that's not something that's exclusive to Islam. Um, If it was, it'd be super convenient. But the unfortunate truth is that humanity has this problem and it can be manifest in a lot of different institutional religions and outside of that as well. One of the things that I've learned in my life so far is that there are many different faiths and there are two kinds of people, people that use their faith to push other people away and people that use their faith to bring people closer. And I think it has so much to to, to do with the person and the kind of life that they want to see and less to do with the the text of the faith or the culture of the faith. And um, yeah, that's finding the people that use their faith to bring people closer. I think that's one of the big projects in my life. Um, and it's and the whole point, right? Like, yeah. there are so many ways that people do that. People try to use drag to exclude people or have a purity test if you're not doing drag a certain way. Like, do you wow, have a that's pig? so true. That's baking? so true. And so that's in so that way, true. drag can be kind of a religion. And if people are going to use drag, like, you know, like we're here, which I absolutely love with Shangela and Bob the Drag Queen and Eureka. Like, I mm. love that essence of it. And like RuPaul's Drag Race, like so many ways to be inclusive with it, but there are going to be some people who use the religion of drag to exclude a lot of people. And it's just because humans are very creative and not all humans are trying to bring things together. A lot of folks are trying to right. separate shit out. So let me say right here, I take this opportunity at this moment, because I think this is an important moment because of the season of RuPaul's Drag Race that's will be airing when this is released. On this podcast, we believe that anyone who loves drag and includes other people should be included in drag. If you are a loving person who uses drag for love, 
you can do drag. doesn't matter who you are. The only people that I would like to uninvite from the drag community are people that want to exclude other people. Like if you don't, if you don't want to be part of the club with somebody else, then you can leave and go do something else. So yeah, I just think that that's what a beautiful parallel. Um, and let's, so let's extend it not only from different faiths, but from different practices and fields. Absolutely. Cause that's the thing. I, I did a lesson on drag. Um, and at the end we said, anyone can be a drag king, queen, or monarch, but it takes mm-hmm. work. So you better work, you know, it's I'm saying work. drag monarchs from now on. That's beautiful. And oh, this is what, and this is actually my next question. Like today through is this is a perfect dovetail with drag today through books, lectures, social media, you try to push progress in the world. And I think that people imagine that serious topics have to be approached in a really dry way, but much like I do in drag, you bring brightness and visual excitement to tough issues. And I wonder what was your thinking behind that? Like, why bring color and vibrance to such serious issues? I mean, why not? Like, life is too short for things to be done in grayscale. And people do sometimes, like, look at me or they watch, they've only seen my TED Talk or, like, some of my lectures, which is mm. why I've been trying to, like, spice in some, like, some humor in there. Because I do not want people thinking I'm serious. Like, I take things seriously, But taking something serious doesn't mean that we can't intersperse moments of levity and joy and humor, because if we also look at, you know, studies around human psychology, if people are able to laugh at something, it can make them more receptive to an idea. And that's how we end up getting things like laughing Donald Trump into the White House, because so many folks were unfortunately taking this as a joke um, Mm. to looking at things and maybe understanding that we can laugh at something and get to a better place or a better understanding. It's all different tools that we can use to either grow understanding or to shut people off. And humor isn't something that's apolitical, just like drag isn't something that's apolitical. You can, you know, close your eyes and shut your ears to it. But the fact is that if it's something that humans are doing, it's going to be used to grant power or deny power or... Mm make fun of power and that's all politics is and it's not as scary as as what it's made to seem and i think that if we can make things more approachable then we have more brilliant minds coming together to brainstorm about ways that we can grow and, and heal and that's why I just don't think that humanity happens in departments right like that's how we study right. things but we're all things all the time and that's yeah. what intersectionality teaches us with Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. And that's what life teaches us. And so I think that um, that kind of excitement that I have around learning is something I want to be very contagious and I want to connect to people because I, I feel like I spent a lot of my you know adolescence growing up stressed out that I had to learn something else new. And I want people to be excited when they learn something from me. I don't want a a pop quiz to be a stressful thing. I want a pop quiz to be something exciting where you feel like you are going to win. You are going to do well because you studied. A test shouldn't be there to make you feel like you failed or that you're a failure. It should be there to show you how much you've learned. Something about what you were saying sort of reminded me of one of our previous guests, Diana Zainab Al-Hindawi, who was, who is a incredible photographer. She goes around the world and documents people facing really challenging situations. She grew up in challenging situations herself. And I always wonder, you know, 
how do you not feel down sometimes? And she said, what you don't realize is that people facing really challenging situations know best how to celebrate sometimes. And you'll see people going through an incredibly difficult situations, responding with joy and humor and brightness and color, and that that's how they navigate through. And I think that you're not only making your topics more approachable, but you're probably finding a way to survive a lot of the things that you're talking about as well. Whoo, preach. I mean, the last two lessons I did, assumptions and invasive personal questions people should stop asking to my lesson on ghosting. A lot of me is just going through it and teaching people at the same time. Like, can I understand this? Because therapy is expensive in the United States. Can we just go to therapy right now? (laughs) Like, can y'all help me process this, please? Which I think is so helpful. Like, it's again with my worry management and dealing with anxiety. Like I am going to be thinking about this. So let me make it useful. Let me make it beneficial. It sucks that now on Instagram, if I'm not posting reels at the top of every week, I notice a difference in how I perform in the algorithm. So like last night I was on the couch and I did not want to get up and like make a lesson. And I was like, right. what's the, like, what's a lesson that I can do? And I was like, you know what? A lot of people make assumptions. And it actually came out of, um, I was texting my friend, Richie, who unfortunately uh, has COVID. And so, you know, we wish you well, Richie. And I was like, oh, I'll bring you some lentil soup, you know, at a distance. Maybe I'll like leave it on the doorstep and then depart social distancing. Everything's important. And then I was like, oh, I assumed that Richie eats meat because I put, you know, chicken sausage and uh, Mm -hmm. I made it with chicken broth. And I was like, let me not assume that Richie is you know, a meat eater that, you know, Richie might be, you know, he might be vegetarian or vegan. And I asked and lo and behold, he's vegetarian. And so Uh I ended up just like cash apping him to get soup himself because that's like what aunties do when they can't think of anything else to do. But I was like, look at me. I'm literally doing a lesson about assumptions and fighting through my own assumptions. Look at the growth. Uh, Okay. Uh, This, this reminds me really briefly. uh, One of the most loving things that you can do for people is feed them in the way they want to be fed. And you mentioned in an interview that your mother respects your your faith when she cooks for you and made halal lasagna. And I just I just wanted to mention that because I think that's such a beautiful thing. Let's say that now she does, because for a while she was like, well, if you don't know that it's in there, I also read that it's fine because... <laughs> <laughs> that is like one of that is one of the like loopholes in Islam. And yes. I think that because like, you know, with anything, like I think when parents <laughs> or caretakers raise a child in a certain way with certain values and then they start to gravitate to other forms or systems of values. Like for me, I grew up Christian and now I'm Muslim. I think that was kind of like a shock to my parents. My parents were still very affirming, but I think that for my mom, especially, it was kind of like a, what does this mean? Like what, what are the you know, implications. And so my mom loves to feed people. Like if you're ever in town and this is a serious invitation and you're not on tour and you can like, you want a home cooked meal, my mom will make you whatever. Um, she is like, she wanted to go to culinary school her whole life. And she, her friend, um, Rosalind is actually like a culinary, like she went to the Cordon Bleu, like she's amazing. Um, and my mom can like you know, outpace her sometimes, you know, Rosalind will admit, and they're both amazing uh, chefs. And my mom's love language is food. And so for her to respect me, I mean, like she still makes bacon and pork sausage every morning for breakfast. I just don't go in the house because at this point it's like, 
I've been, it's been such a long time since I've eaten pork that it like kind of makes me sick to be around, Yeah, which is the case when everybody, like most times when you have like a dietary change, that's right. kind of like what you start feeling like, oh, I don't eat this anymore. But now she'll like kind of set things aside or she'll let me know like, hey, Blair, this has pork in it. I made you something else. Hey, Blair, this has pork in it. Do you want to have something else? And it's been really great because uh, it's not just that it's just not the dietary restrictions, but also growth that we've had together around like diet culture where, you know, we have like kind of no body talk zone. If it's not positive body talk, then we don't talk about it around each other. There. We'll like yeah. work that through on our own. So we don't like perpetuate things. Right. Um, and it's gotten to a really healthy place, but it takes a lot of tough conversations. I mean, I literally in my book have a guide on how to have tough conversations that I've piloted with my mother and it goes well, but you have to have mutual respect and you can't try to win the conversation. You just have to hear each other out and respect one another. And I think if somebody, something is important to someone else, even if it's new to you, it is worth learning about and worth respecting. And it's free which is totally the best part. You were kind of talking about before I sidetracked into food, your smarter in seconds content on Instagram and sort of what it's like to come up with that content all the time. And you cover so many important things. But one of the things that I saw you touch on that I thought would be important to this podcast is feminism, because I think a lot of people view feminist thought as monolithic and an aggressive attack on men but you reveal that there are so many different kinds of feminism and that it's so much more complicated than that. And I was wondering if you could give your thoughts on that to our listeners who surely need to hear it since they get these misconceptions thrown at them all the time. Oh, definitely. I think that uh, as far as feminist theory goes, looking to bell hooks is a super important and accessible place to start. That it's not just like, like, if you look at the dictionary, it gives a super like lukewarm, not great definition. It's like equality between the sexes or they'll mm -hmm. say like both sexes, which is like participating in a binary and not right. correct. And so it's not just like fighting for equality across genders, but to fight sexist and patriarchal exploitation mm. and other forms of oppression, including racism, ableism, et cetera, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, that we have to fight all of these systems to get to a feminist future. Um, I actually mm. work with the team at Feminist on Instagram, just the page at Feminist, um, really rebuilding and you know building trust uh, among the community and trying to bring feminism to the masses. But feminism is not yay women boo men it is yay which is what so many people take it as but continue yeah oh so, so many people do because it also benefits the patriarchy for us to think that it's this dichotomous but mm -hmm. the fact is that patriarchy harms men May patriarchy has all of these men who are running around who could be looking amazing i think everyone looks amazing <laughs> in a bright red lip and patriarchy yes. is the only reason that people aren't doing that like yeah. it's so frustrating and and that's why i think drag is so important because it allows people to experiment and to play with gender in ways that society doesn't allow for which is also part of the patriarchy feminism is really the antidote if done correctly and the healing necessary for all of the harms patriarchy has done to us. You shouldn't cry. You can't do this. You can't do that. You must be this. You must be barefoot and pregnant and married by the time you're 18 or you're an old hag. You mm -hmm. can't cry or do these things because then you're gay. And what does that mean? And it's like, well, mm -hmm. what about being? That's fine. It's fine to love people. It's fine to just be your whole self and not conform to these expectations that were created by people who are long dead and who were honestly in full drag themselves with powdered wigs and heels. What I took from that is the word healing. 
And I think that when any, anyone challenges me about feminism and why I consider myself a, f- a feminist and an ally to women plus, I would say that feminism is about healing because it's taking all of these wounds that we all suffer because of the patriarchy and trying to set them right. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've been looking at, I, I did a lesson with Lex Chandra uh, in March for Women's History Month, looking at how the most inclusive way we can discuss gender is to talk about people who are impacted by the patriarchy, like people who are negatively impacted by the patriarchy, which is much longer. But it's necessary because that includes folks who are non-binary. It includes folks. It, it includes it even includes cis men. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with with feminism, much like drag. It doesn't exclude people unless you're trying to be harmful. You touch on Themes like this in Modern Herstory, which celebrates 70 women and non-binary champions of progressive social change. I think this is an incredible handbook for anyone. And I'm thinking about all the parents that I know in my life who want to raise children to support Women Plus. And I wanted to know about your creative process with this book. And was there a Woman Plus icon that really moved you um, as you wrote this book? I think for me, it was Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera Mm -hmm. because I was so, okay, this is going to sound weird. So hear me out. When I learned about them in college, I was pissed because I had not already learned about them. I was so the righteous indignation from child Blair. I was like, which manager do I speak to that? I did not learn about (laughs) these people before. And part of the reason that the book is titled Modern History Stories of Women and Non-Binary People Rewriting History is because we have to honor the fact that, you know, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera described themselves in so many different ways, use multiple pronouns, describe themselves as drag queens, describe themselves as transvestites, words that we understand to mean different things today. Mm-hmm. But it's okay because when we look at our trans and queer ancestors, we have to look at them at their own terms and not try to force them into an understanding that we have today. We have to understand and honor them in their context. And so the first people that you learn about, the first like profile that I have in the book is Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, because when I speak to people, like when I was in New York and when I came out and I would be at these events, I would speak to like some, you know, older gay white men who would say things like, well, back when I was coming out, there wasn't all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, elaborate on that incorrect statement. (laughs) And they would say like, well, there wasn't, you know, it was just, you know, lesbian and gay. And that was it. And I was like, that's fascinating, especially when we stand on the shoulders of people like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, who made this movement possible to begin with. And they're like, oh, that's right. You're right. My bad. And I'm like, yeah, you're bad. But that's how you like lead with love. Right. Yeah. Because we have to append this idea that one, it's new to be LGBTQ plus. It's Mm. actually extremely new for any of this. There used to be a time in humanity where we were just out there loving people, screwing who we wanted to, making babies, all the types of things. And it wasn't qualified or there wasn't a moral qualification to it. There wasn't a moral imperative for people to split up into a gender binary and then create offspring so that capitalism had a class of workers to rule, to be honest. And so... I think that when we look at things like modern history, now it's one thing for me to say that statement I just said, and another thing for me to have beautifully illustrated images by Monique Lay and wonderfully right. compelling stories, because I might reach a lot more people, 
But I'm still right. saying the same thing. I'm still talking about how do we append systems of supremacy, whether it's patriarchal supremacy or white supremacy, and how do we forefront people who have been sidelined throughout history, but who have always been there. One of the things that you said about feeding the capitalist machine just like made all the hair stand up on my neck because I was just listening to the Times podcast this morning about how um, Amazon employs people with the intention of only keeping them on for about a year before they wear out. The, the whole idea is that they're constantly consuming new employees. And I think it's just a beautiful illustration about how pure capitalism just munches people alive. And Oh, it uh, does. Yeah. People like to forget the fact, and I talk about this in Read This to Get Smarter. I do talk about class in chapter three, um, that the best form of capitalism to a capitalist or an owner is slavery, where you don't have to pay for anything and you get all of the profit. And in the United States, there's a huge fear around talking about things like socialism. And we always frame capitalism because we're taught to and socialized to view it as the best form of an economic system. But the fact is that like free market capitalism, where it regulates itself also means that the people who are the most marginalized are going to suffer the most. And then we end up having people who are treated as scapegoats. We have anti-Semitism in the United States where, oh, it can't be that it's this class of European white folks who are oppressing us, who are predominantly Christian. It has to be these also oppressed Jewish folks. Mm. And that's how this anti-Semitism, you know, anti-Black machine is fueled. And I talk about that in my book as well. But it's a lot more convenient for us to um, believe these lies around who is actually oppressing who um, in the United States it's a lot more beneficial for the capitalists to sell us that and for us right. to buy it with the little wages that they pay us than for anything to change. Read this to get smarter. That is your most recent book. And I wanted to know how it initially came about. It was pretty hilarious because I had kind of jumped the shark. That's an old reference as well. I say these yes. references and then like the young kids I work with, they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. It's the, the episode where, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> they jumped the shark and I had done a lesson about cowboys and I sang it in like this really horrible country accent with like a 10 gallon hat on. And I was talking about how like, you know, cowboys aren't just white men. Like there are a lot of different cowboys and of different nationalities and heritage. And that's great. And then the editor, Caitlin Ketchum of my last two books reached out. I was like, Blair, we are loving these. Would you be interested in another book? And I was like off of this smarter in seconds. You think, okay, (laughs) you know, I'm never going to say no to an opportunity that's, you know, in line with what my career direction is. And so it really came out of Smarter in Seconds. And I was talking to my auntie Barbara yesterday and she was saying that I've really grown as a writer. And I think I have. I think that, you know, smarter that uh, modern history and making our way home are very important historical books for a certain age range. But I really think that Read This to Get Smarter is mature. And if if Smarter in Seconds is your appetizer, then your meal is Read This to Get Smarter. I want to just put a little button on something that you said earlier, which is I'll never say no to an opportunity that's that affirms the, my career direction that I want to go in. And I just wanted to repeat that for our listeners because we talk about pivoting and career paths all the time. And I think one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me is where I get a huge opportunity with a lot of money and a lot of like luxuries that go along with it that isn't in the direction I want to go to. And I want to give permission to everyone to say no to those things um, because 
it took a long time for me to learn to say no to those things where it's something that looks shiny and it's off of your path. Um, it's okay to say no to that. And you'll feel a little guilty and a little weird about it, but um, go wherever your, your heart is, not where the shiny things are. And it's like my friend, Dr. Shay Akil McLean said, you can only sell out if you say yes to every check. You've got to be selective. And also, no matter what you're doing, the more selective you are, I feel like the more power you can hold. It's a hard thing to do, especially when you're just starting out and when you do have a bill to pay, when it's between doing something and paying a bill, do what you need to do, honey. But once you get past that point of just surviving, when you can actually thrive and be selective and be aligned in your purpose and the opportunities... Don't be afraid to walk away from something, even if it seems like it's going to be good in the short term, if it's not going to be good in the long term. So I want to know, speaking of those opportunities, what's next for you? What's the the dream that you have for as we launch a new year, 2022? So I'm working on some really, so I'm like, I just started blushing. Like, I don't know why I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm excited too. Oh my goodness. It sounds like I'm trying to talk to a crush in high school. Wow. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> I'm launching a further collaboration with an amazing beauty brand called Fem Power Beauty, which is a lesbian owned lipstick company. Right now we have affirmation stickers. So that way, when you look in the mirror every morning, you know, you should be the first one to say something positive to you uh, before you go online, before you engage in the world, you need to learn how to affirm yourself. And it's a skill that my mom taught me and that we want to pass on to folks, you know, through our affirmation stickers, but also a future collaboration that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but stay tuned for that around Valentine's Yes. Oh, yeah. And then the other thing that I've been able to announce is that I'm developing a children's program with the Jim Henson Company. Um, and that is Shut just a dream come true. Up. That's I'm so, so excited. Amazing. Because if I have a drag inspiration, it's it's Muppets. <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that like there are so many opportunities to teach people um, through social media, but being able to go to television, I mean, you can speak to this yourself. Like it just gives you a different type of platform. And I'm really excited because as I look through my childhood, I feel like I've been somewhat honed to be the perfect children's television show host. Oh, and uh, yeah. I'm ready to walk into that purpose. Oh, I'm so ready for it too. And I, I can't wait to see these projects that are coming out. Thank you so much for joining us today because this has made me feel really optimistic. My only challenge in this interview was that you cover so many incredible messages. It was hard to narrow it down to what I was going to talk to you about. So thank you for covering everything from the patriarchy and capitalism to, to beauty, to family love, all of this. Thank you so much. Anytime. I mean, it's hard to stay in your lane when it's a big lane, um, yeah. <laughs> but I try to cover a lot of stuff and it's really exciting. And as I love to say, learning is a blessing. Thank you so much, Blair. Okay, Caitlin, that was our interview for today. And as usual, I am blown away by our wonderful Woman Plus guest. I know. It always makes me feel like, like, why do I waste my time laying in bed being like, uh, this horrible world? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. when I could have a more of an attitude like that, where I like really want to make the world a better place for people and just brighten people's days with my attitude you know it's just like i said impossible to get to the bottom of everything that she talks about because she talks about so many important issues it's not like she's an 
an expert in one area, she has she's like so multifaceted. So mm-hmm. I was like during the interview just trying to avoid the temptation to just run off in a tangent in yeah, any one direction yeah. because I'm like, I want to hear more. Because you could. Yeah. And she would have like even more and more and more to say about the topic. Yeah. So amazing. So another thanks to Blair Amani. We're so excited to support her book and her secret upcoming projects, which I yeah, hope we'll get to find and, out and about. And everyone should go follow her on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's good stuff. It's and it'll re- like, like bring a smile to your face as you see it. All the other crap that there is to see on Instagram. (laughs) Okay, anyway, enough of that. It's time for a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, first of all, I want to say this again. I want to repeat it, Caitlin. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews so much, which is why I was excited to see them coming in while we were away. In fact, we love reviews so much, we're going to read some of our favorites right here at the end of the show. Caitlin, do you have a review for this week? You're right. We've gotten some nice reviews. <laughs> I'm just like... Okay, I'll, I'll start with the, the most recent one. Um, great podcast. Ms. Cracker is so smart and so funny. Love hearing her humor and perspective in any format. Great listen. That makes you laugh, but also makes you think. Which is what we're here to do. So we appreciate that. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, send in your reviews. Yes, please. You can see how happy it makes us. Oh, we're just thrilled. (laughs) We're like, oh, we're doing the right thing. Uh, But enough about that, Caitlin. It is time for my favorite part of the podcast. It is time for the credits. It's been a while. (laughs) This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham. She found the good news and our guest today. That's right. Thank you so much. Working so hard. (laughs) And then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin. And it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71, plus also edited by them now. That's right. So sorry about our wandering around in circles. I know. I hope you enjoy <laughs> editing this. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you tune in next Monday because we will be back for oh, another yes. exciting We're episode. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. <laughs> Audible gasp. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And we'll be with you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, it feels good to be back on I the know. on the ho- horse. Back on the back on the in the saddle. And that- back in the <laughs> saddle. Back on the horse in the saddle. Yeah. <laughs>